don't have a Bible, you may take this as a gift. We would love to have that with you. So today, I will be picking up where Garrison left off last week. Last week, he started um, looking at in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through, I think, uh, 21, and noticing the crucified life, the character of the crucified life, and he called it part one. I got very creative, and so this one is the character of the crucified life, part two, and you'll have to come back because next week is the character of the crucified, part three. So I wanted to start off this morning with a sentence, and I want you to ponder it. Christianity is distinctly supernatural, but by no means passive. Think about that. Christianity is distinctly supernatural. It's manifestly from God, starting, sustaining, stopping by God. It's clear, it's noticeable, it's distinctly supernatural, and yet by no means passive. God does everything, and yet it does not create passivity in His people. We're not inactive. And so what I want to do these next two weeks is explore that with you to notice this crucified life. It is completely and utterly supernatural, and yet there is something that will take your breath away in terms of dedication and loyalty for those on whom God has placed His favor. And so, today we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And um, the sentence I would want you to remember is this, that the crucified life is a life of freedom bearing the fruit of the Spirit. So if you are accustomed to writing that would be your only sentence that you will write today, likely. The crucified life is a life of freedom bearing the fruit of the Spirit. This week, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Next week, we're going to look at the crucified life as a life of freedom. And we're going to screw those two things together this week and next week to form this crucified life is a life of freedom bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, I believe is saying something very close to this sentence. And so he starts pondering with his readers what the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he ends with how to cultivate this fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul characterizing the fruit of the Spirit today, and next week we're going to look at the Apostle Paul cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. So today, what is the fruit of the Spirit is the question that I want us to ponder. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to stand in joyful reverence to God's Word, and we will pick up in Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> We will start it, oh, 
Let's pick it up at 16 in chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the Apostle Paul starts off this passage. We're going to pick it up in 21 and 22. Those are the only two verses that we're going to be looking at today. And he picks it up, and he's going to characterize the fruit of the Spirit. And essentially, he is, he is looking at the characteristics or the attributes, the different facets of the fruit of the Spirit. And so my first question, obviously, is what is fruit? I mean, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, so what is, what is fruit? And so I was thinking, well, how would you start a conversation like that? It seems kind of bland and simple and easy. And so I started pondering that. And let's just take it initially from a just natural, literal thing. So what is fruit? Okay. What is it? Well, so I chose an apple for illustration. Comes from an apple tree, right? Yeah. And an apple tree comes from a seed which descends its roots and ascends its shoots and produces its fruits. It's pretty remarkable. It's, it's like magic. It's, it's unusual. And this, this tree is so filled with vital circulating fluid that it almost cannot help but produce fruit. And it hangs there on a branch. It comes out of a blossom and then a bud and then a branch, and it just hangs there. Springtime gives way to summertime, and it just starts drawing this beautiful red crisp, juicy apple out. That's just remarkable, <laughs> wouldn't you say? I mean, have you ever seen a farmer with a big bag of these kind of apples and scurrying up a tree, an apple tree, and starting to staple his fruit onto this tree so that it's laden with apples? I mean, that's just kind of funny, isn't it? Isn't that kind of funny? Yeah, even kids think it's 
rather silly. Certainly it's silly because fruit is organic, right? It comes out of, we don't put it on the tree. It comes from the tree, it's produced from the tree, and it almost looks like excess life. A healthy tree overflowing with fruit shares and shows excess life. Fruit. But let me make one more observation on fruit. Fruit is, is not for fruit. I mean, an apple is not for apple. It, it's for others. The tree is thick and laden with all this fruit, and it does one of two things. It will either drop the apple, and then elk, and bear, and mice, and rabbits, and birds. They start pecking and eating, and it's for them. It's for sustenance. It's to help them. It's nutritious for life. Or it, on a hot summer day, somehow, some way, falls into the hand of a little boy who has been playing all morning long. And he's looking at this bright, red, crisp, juicy apple. And he goes, oh. That, seriously though, that is awesome. It provides juicy, nutritious food for the weary. If I get weary again, I'll just bite another one right there. So if that is a a living picture in your mind, a lively illustration of what a fruit is, keep that in your mind, but use this sentence to try to summarize it for you. Fruit is supernatural, excess life for others. Okay? It is supernatural. It doesn't create itself. It comes from and is sustained by. And it's excess life. Healthy, verdant, powerful, energetic trees can't contain themselves and they start popping it. And it it shows and it is served. It's for others. Fruit. Now you didn't come all this way into this little cafeteria to look at something literal, natural, botanical, just a piece of fruit. We're here to look at Jesus Christ. We're here to look at the fruit of the Spirit. So take your eyes now and drop them into the pages of Scripture. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Notice how the Apostle Paul starts. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is. So now he's starting to characterize the fruit of the Spirit, and he starts with a definition of the fruit of the Spirit. He starts off by saying, but the fruit of the Spirit is. He starts off with an adversative, right? But everything that we are going to see today is in complete contrast to what Pastor Garrison preached last week. Utterly, completely 
in contrast with verses 19 through 21. The fruit of the Spirit is in contrast with the deeds of the flesh. Now, as I was pondering that, I was thinking thematically through the Bible, and it just seems to me that maybe the Apostle Paul has got in his mind a theme from the Bible, a very strong, steady, clear theme that starts in Genesis 1. If you recall how the Bible story starts, there's God. And then you notice that the earth is formless and void and darkness is covering the deeps. And now the Spirit is hovering over the deeps. And then in six days, the first three, He takes formless and He forms it. And then the next three days, He takes the form and He fills it. Interesting. So He, out of a desert, out of a dangerous, destructive, chaotic, formless, empty wasteland, He produces a garden. A full Flowing garden. That's the start of this story? Why would you start like that? If you want to study that, start up and you'll see most Old Testament authors pull on that theme and bring it into a greater understanding, a redemptive, historical, greater understanding that leads to the New Testament. So, for example, we have Isaiah. 8th century B.C. prophet. And he's looking back on how this storyline has been developing and now it comes to him and he's going to apply it to God's people who went out of the promised land into wilderness, right? Exiled, banished, alienated. Almost looking like Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21, a wasteland, a war zone. And so he's looking at this, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's inspired to write down the, the, the remedy for such a, a situation. And in chapter 32, verse 15, he prophesies not only about Pentecost in the first century, you can read about it in Acts chapter 2, but even in the 21st century with the starting of Veritas, he is prophesying something about us. And he says these words. He says, When the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, our wilderness will be changed into a fruitful field. <laughs> now, where did he get that imagery? From the Bible. He was reading Moses just like we read Moses. And then later on in chapter 51, verse 3, he's going to talk about Yahweh comforting his people. And he says these words I will comfort Zion, I will comfort all their waste places. Let me hit the pause and ask you to think about your own. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, waste places. You have them, I have them. He says, 
and the Lord will comfort all their waste places. And then he says, their desert will become Eden. And their waste places and desert will become like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and a sound of melody will arise from this garden. (laughs) What is he saying? My sense is the Apostle Paul knows exactly what he was saying in the 8th century B.C. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he pens down Galatians for churches in southern Galatia. And the Spirit holds on to that prophecy and brings it into the 21st century for Veritas-like people. That out of your own war zone, out of your own flesh, out of your own desert-like existence... He pulls us through 19 through 21 and drops us into 22 and 23 into the garden of the Lord. He is producing an orchard. He is producing Eden-like existence. He is producing a fertile garden known as the new Eden that I'm looking at right now. And he doesn't stop there. Remember, this fruit is... Is not just for us. And so he is taking a little patch of light and life and love and putting it into a dark and decadent and dangerous and destructive and damning and devil-like place in East Dayton. And we can see a garden starting to throw, starting to grow and transform areas. Can you see that? This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is not just individuals changing. This is a group dynamic, a corporate solidarity, unity amid diversity. We look like the garden of the Lord. And we produce excess life for others. That's my best effort at a definition of the fruit of the Spirit. He then goes on, not just to give us a definition, But now he'll start describing it. Describing the fruit of the Spirit. You would know it as this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Keep in mind, we're talking about supernatural Excess life for others. Holy Spirit enabled life produced by Him and for His glory and through us to others who need sustenance, need life. They're weary, they're deadened, they're darkened. They need the fruit of the Spirit, such as love. So what I did here in preparation was I just started doing a a word study, but I didn't just want to grab a word and then make a definition. I wanted to follow it into different contexts and try to understand what's in Paul's mind and then take it into my mind and work it out so that it makes sense in our context. This was my best effort. This is the fruit of the Spirit described by the Apostle Paul. Love. 
What is love? Serving others happily for their good and not for kickbacks. That is to say that we grafted into the vine Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who produces the fruit through us. And this is love for someone who desperately needs love. And when we pervert that, we try to do something really kind to one another in hopes of putting them in debt. And say, now what's the kickback for me? I won't cash in tomorrow or next week, but in the back of my mind, you owe me. (laughs) Love's not like that, is it? It's unconditional. It moves into a person who so desperately needs love. And we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have excess life and say, here, have this. Joy. People need joyful people. The fruit of the Spirit, giving others joy in Jesus and not an irritation due to disappointment. What does my daughter need on a difficult day at her school and she comes home and she's disturbed? What does she need in the morning when I wake up Does she need grumpy pants coming out of the bedroom? Does she really need that? She she needs a sense of it is well with his soul. He He is comforted in Christ. He is confident in him. And there's a sense of joy in his face even in the dark mornings of the first part of the day. And here's a joyful person. That's love. That's sweetness to those in need love joy peace peace takes rest in the work of god in christ and stops this nervously performing for others do you know what i mean by that do you have a low level anxiety and nervousness when you're around people thinking if they knew me they would not accept me And so off we go into this tap dance in hopes of auditioning for others that they will then welcome us, accept us, approve of us, and peace starts in God. He has given us peace through Christ by faith in Him, justified freely, no condemnation. The amnesty is over. The war is over. We're right with God. That quells the anxiety, and now we have a certain peace that we move towards people. We won't be driven by our anxiety so that we start manipulating other people. We give them excess life from the Spirit known as peace. Patience. Being with troubled people in difficulty without complaining. And we're talking complaining in the heart, not just through the lips, right? So when we're with people, we're, people are people. They're just like you and me. We need this, each other. In this garden, we need to taste and see that the Lord is good amongst one another. Because when I am troubled and I am losing sight of Jesus Christ, 
I need someone patient in my life to come to me and give me this kind of fruit. And it comes and it's patient and it sits and it listens. And the heart is not rumbling, oh my word, not again. This is supernatural, guys. It's the fruit of the Spirit, excess life from Him to give to another human being. Kindness. Helping others freely. Not force it and not fake it. Kindness is an interesting term because it's not just doing acts of kindness. It is that, and we're to be kind to one another. But it's free-flowing. It's, I was going to use the word vulnerable because kindness can't just do something and keep person away from person. It's very vulnerable and it gets close to people. You can get hurt being kind to people. But it doesn't matter when it's excess life from the Spirit given to someone. You're okay. Don't worry. And so it freely moves. If this isn't operating in my life, maybe you would say amen in your life, it then is kind of forced, like, oh, someone's moving next week, and I need to be there to help them because I'm a covenant member of Veritas. And, oh, I'm in, okay, here I am. And it's, it's kind of forced into it. Or fake it. Hi, I'm a kind person. I'm really excited to be here. And inside you're going, heck, I hate this place. I don't want to be here supernatural excess life for others that pops out in the form of kindness, goodness. This is just a genuineness. It doesn't have a two-face to it, right? It's just genuine. It's just authentic. It's just, I'm with you, who I am in Jesus. It's authentic. It's, oh, do people need to taste and see that the Lord is good through genuineness, authenticity, particularly in this plastic society, right? Goodness, faithfulness, very close to goodness, but here's a slight twist to it. It's a person who is the same in private as they are in public. You know what I mean? Of course you do. I've been uh, working in a certain place that um, I won't tell you, and I'm around a lot of phones, um, and I won't tell you the conversations, but the phone rings, and um, it is answered in a very professional way, and there is interaction. You can only hear one, one thing, and it's very kind. It's very professional. It's very helpful. It's very sweet, and then the phone goes down, and then you know what you hear? <laughs> Hopefully you don't hear this at home. Come on, guys. But you just hear, what a stupid idiot. And then off it goes. Or, what an annoyance. That person called again and again and again. And you take it next time. I hate it. Hello. Yes. Welcome. Great. We're not like that, are we? Mm. We need to repent if we are. We need to go to Christ if we do. We need to find fresh forgiveness and fresh favor and fresh, vital, circulating fluid of grace that will give rise to excess life that will pop out into faithfulness. Gentleness. 
This was, this was a surprise for me. Gentleness, I thought, was just gentle. And I think it is. But this is an interesting word that gets at gentleness is when you go into a group and you're with them, your, your mind is not upon you, it's upon others. It, it, gentleness is a, a forgetting of self because I'm remembering you. You don't really know how you look. You don't really know how you sound because you're not really listening to you. You're listening to that person and you're moving to that person. And that creates not harshness. It's, 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 it's gentle. It's phenomenal what the Spirit of the living God does in the people of God. Creating this supernatural, excessive life for others that says, my mind is not on me right now. It's on you and you and you. And so I, I can easily move towards you because I'm not that anxious and whatnot. And uh, is my hair okay? Some of you have hair to, to be concerned about. But is my clothes doing? Is my, um, you know, will I forget their name? Or am I doing this right? Or all that kind of stuff. It's a self-forgetfulness because there's a other remembrance. And it's just a moving towards people in a supernatural kind of way. The last one that Paul puts down here is self-control. To be a person who pursues the important over against the immediate. Right? It's kind of like this gratification that the heart yearns for. We are created this way. We need, we long, we yearn for gratification. But by the Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ, we now have a wholly different view. This gratification is ultimate gratification that allows us to say thanks but no thanks to the immediate gratification, self-control. Giving up the lesser things to enjoy the greater things. It's really not a whole lot of sacrifice, right? And when the Holy Spirit is enabling us in this, we feel it, I get it, but it's not this huge tug like chocolate chip cookie. I can't, but I don't want, I want, but I can't. It's not this huge struggle in our hearts to say immediate gratification is put back because I see a panoramic view of eternal pleasures forever. And so I'm self-controlled. I say I, I mean in the spirit at that time. And we move out like that. Self-control is not sheer willpower. It's this kind of stuff that the Spirit gives. We don't work on these things necessarily. We don't staple these things on our person. It grows up and out and we give away this kind of miracle. So if you're in my shoes, how, how would you ap- apply this to people watching you? How would you apply this to Veritas Community Church in East Dayton, August 13th, 2017? Well, the application is real big t- next week, so grab a friend and come back. But for starters, this is what I wrote down. There are three exhortations. I'll close with this. Believe that the fruit of the Spirit is supernatural, excess life for others. 
Believe that. Don't waver in doubt over that. Believe that the fruit of the Spirit is what it is. So how does believing this truth change your outlook this upcoming week? What activity might you do differently as a result of believing this reality? What do you do and where do you go when you are depleted of excess life? Is it Netflix quickly? Is it the refrigerator? Is it gaming? Is it surfing the net on and on and on? Not that those in and of themselves are awful things, but mm, when you just feel pooped out, when you don't have this sense of, I'm putting forth excess life, where do you go? What do you do? Number two, believe that fruit comes, not by the works of the law, but by hearing with faith. If you want one verse to memorize for this week, I would suggest Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. And Paul is looking at these people that he's talking about with the fruit of the Spirit, and he says, Does he who supplies you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, think fruit of the Spirit, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Hmm? Now, obviously, the answer is the latter. He's setting them up. But think about that. Hearing with faith. Hearing what with faith? What perspective or promise from the Bible do you need to believe in cor that corresponds to a characteristic of the fruit? So examples might include love. So you're loveless today. Or drip, drip, drip love as opposed to gush, gush, gush love. Well, what do you need? Do you need the sheer willpower to change your life and staple love onto your, yourself and then move out? That's nasty. Rather, just go to the Lord, confess that, stay in the Scriptures, be saturated with Scripture, marinate your mind in these passages, and something like this might come out. 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so you ponder that, and you ask God, why am I not loving today? And likely it'll come back to something Godward. And it'll be, go, it'll be something like, I'm not knowing Him, an intimate knowledge of Him. I'm not traversing His attributes and characteristics in a way that moves me towards Him. Because He is love. And if I don't view Him as love and receive this love, it, there won't be a whole lot of production of love for others. Or joy, for another example. Do you ever get moody? Grumpy, pouty, irritable. I'm looking at you, Sarah, just because you're sitting right here. But are you like me? And so you're in the Scriptures. You're confessing that. Oh, God, I need more of you. And you're scouring the Scriptures. You're just in the Bible. And you come across a passage like Psalm 1. that starts off the whole Psalter. And it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night, and he'll be 
like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf doesn't wither and whatever he does, he prospers. Oh God, give me a heart like that. Dive me into divine that I will delight in him day and night. And then that sap, that free-flowing grace comes up through my roots and into, I don't know how it works, but using the analogy, and then out pops joy for someone. Love, joy, peace. We could go on and on with it. But that is how the fruit of the Spirit corresponds to daily living. It's not like you leave here and staple it onto your life and think that this is going to be what God has called you to do. Rather, repent of verses 19 through 21, come out of that wasteland and into the garden and begin the process of hearing with faith. That ends the message, but it starts a brand new life for us, doesn't it? Some of you might not have ever tasted to see that the Lord is good. Some of you might not be the garden of the Lord, Eden, new creation. And you've just struggling and striving legalistically, trying to make stuff work like love, joy, peace, patience. And you're just miserable. You should be. And you should repent of your efforts under law by works and look to Christ and what He has done on the cross for you to lift up and take away all your sins so that you can freely be favored by the righteous, holy God of the universe. And out of that, being called a son or a daughter of the King, your heart will well up with trust and love. And Others of us are the garden of the Lord. Who in their right mind having tasted to see that the Lord is good, would want to go back into 19 through 21 of Galatians 5? Who in their right mind would want to be in this plush, fruitful garden and look over your shoulder and say, I miss division, strife, envy, jealousy, outbursts of anger. I miss my drunkenness and orgies. i got to get back. No one in their right mind would do that. So stay in Christ in a repentant way. And our minds that are tempted like that will reorder, reorganize, and understand where we're at in the midst of this darkened, decadent, depraved area in a way that the fruit of the Spirit will grow and the garden will sprawl. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I do ask for much grace. Much grace for me, much grace for us. Oh, won't you illumine our eyes and well up in our hearts a faith like this, necessary to rest in the accomplished work found in Jesus Christ, and then imbibe His beauty, imbibe His love and generosity, and outflows from us, Christ-likeness. That is what I pray for Veritas. That is what I pray for East Dayton. Come and do your miraculous work in our lives. And all of God's people said,